Welcome to Steelcast, Tata Steel UK's podcast about all things related to steel. Our processes, our products, our customers, our people and our communities. My name is Tim Rutter and in this latest series I'm talking to industry experts about climate change, sustainability and decarbonisation. Now we've already heard from a number of Tata Steel experts about the fundamentals of climate change, the current challenges around carbon, the demands of society, both for steel and for zero carbon ways of making it. We've heard about the needs of our customers, as well as some of the technology options that are open to the steel industry and the infrastructure that might be needed to go with them. And not only the physical infrastructure, but the web of organisations that importantly includes the research and academic fraternity, for example, in helping to solve some of the major issues of our time. Now, today I'm joined by someone to help help us cut through what we might describe as the Gordian knot of legislative issues around decarbonising energy intensive industries such as Tata Steel. Because government, or more correctly governments, in the world of devolved powers, have such a critical role to play in setting frameworks, setting industrial strategies and emission targets, and enabling businesses to invest and thrive in a decarbonised future. Inevitably, even local councils will be involved, or at least have some influence, over any new infrastructure, planning consent, renewable energy plans, and so on. As we've spoken before in the series, decarbonisation is not just an issue for Tata Steel in the UK, but for every steel company and every energy intensive industry. So who better to talk to than the current Director General of UK Steel Sector Association, Gareth Stace. Gareth, a very warm welcome to Steelcast today. There is a lot to cover in this particular field, isn't there? It certainly is, Tim, and thank you very much for inviting me to talk to you today. Yeah, so we've got a lot to go through, and uh, and we'll try and tread fairly carefully through the through the minefield of, uh, of, of political relationships between I- industry and governments. But before we start and get into the details of the issues that are facing the steel industry, maybe you could kind of give us a quick elevator pitch on UK Steel. You know what it is, who does it represent, and, and what's it trying to achieve? Absolutely, UK Steel is the sector association that represents steel producers in the UK and also a number of downstream re-rolling companies as well. So so basically, we represent the big boys in the steel sector. You know, the six steel producers in the UK are all in membership. Um, Our membership is actually only about 24 companies, which actually is a real advantage because it means that we can absolutely focus on steel producer issues and not have to dilute our position when we expand into other parts of the steel industry. And we're a very small sector association. There's not many of us that, that work in the team. And, and therefore, that enables us again to be very focused on what we do as a small team together. Then we engage with, of course, with government on a daily basis. We're based in Westminster. We engage with the media as well. In terms of engaging with members, we have a number of different groups and and committees, you know, like Trade Committee, Climate Change Committee, Environment Committee, uh, Steel Activities Board, and a number of other different either technical committees or product committees. So we're engaging with members all the time, and that then enables us as a small sector association to really um, have a sort of a second nature feel of what the sector wants us to be doing, uh, the positions we take and how we best represent the sector. And so it works, I feel, extremely well. 
Yeah, yeah. So, and it's an interesting position, isn't it? Because many of the issues facing the steel industry are much broader than just the steel industry. Or, you know, some of the issues we'll come on to later about those steel using companies and lots of the issues about the energy intensive uh, industries. But clearly you operate in this sort of network way about linking in with, I'm sure you link in with academic institutions and and, um, groups and so forth, specialist groups. But I guess, if someone said to you, "What's your what's your end game? What's the goal of the of the of UK Steel? What's it trying to achieve on behalf of its uh, members?" Well, that's really simple to answer. We're trying to achieve for there to be a competitive, a highly competitive business landscape in the UK, where the steel industry here can not only survive but thrive into the future. We all know in the steel industry that global demand for steel is increasing year on year. And therefore we could have the opportunity to expand our steel sector in the UK and expand our workforce in the UK and our profitability if only this government or and any government that we have in power, not just at Westminster, but also in, in, in Wales and in Scotland, if the government took a political decision and said, yes, We want a strong steel sector in the UK. And yes, we're going to change policy to enable that to happen. Because, again, we all know that there is no country in the world that has a strong and thriving steel sector that isn't fully supporting the steel sector. I.e., if the government doesn't support steel, then you don't have steel in the country. And that's the problem we have at the moment. In short, that does this government support our sector? And the answer is not really. That's the problem. Mm. And I'm sure we'll come on to some of those uh, those issues. But you know, as you as although you're you're called UK Steel and you focus on steel, uh, as you touched upon there, so many of the issues are across so many departments, aren't they? Because you say, well, we need to interact with the trade department, we need to interact with the energy department, we need to, act to interact with the skills, the community departments, the the industrial strategy department. You know, you're, you're covering quite a lot of ground, Gareth, aren't you? Yes, certainly. You know, and our main and our main department is is the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, as you said, Tim. Um, but really, where we really want to get to is the Treasury. Uh, you know, HM Treasury with Rishi Sunak, because Rishi Sunak holds the 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 purse, and without Rishi Sunak's nod and wink, uh, then we as a steel sector, or even Bayes as that um, government department, doesn't get the money. So it's about convincing the Treasury that it's worth Rishi Sunak putting his hand in his pocket and ensuring that he, as I said, creates that business environment where actually we then see investment coming from companies. And and as we all know, all but one of the six steel companies are all foreign owned. And therefore, they all make decisions about where they put any investment they're going to make, where they put that. And at the moment, Putting in the UK may not be the wisest choice, given that you'll probably get a better return in other uh, countries where they have steel operations than you are in the UK. And we just need to convince government of that simple fact, um, because it is fixable. And uh, we are making progress, but we're not making progress, from my point of view, fast enough. Yeah, but just to be clear for our listeners, you know, this isn't an industry that is asking for a, a handout or a bucket full of cash. This is an industry that's that's saying, well, you need to uh, change the legislation to make a better environment for for inward investment or for decisions about capital investment or to uh, support apprenticeships and 
a lot of what you're doing, correct me if I'm wrong, is about legislative changes, which aren't necessarily about cash, but may require some investment in government. But that, is that a fair reflection, Gareth? It's an excellent reflection, Tim, that what we want is that level playing field with our competitors in Europe and globally, but particularly in, in Europe. At the moment, we have one hand tied behind our backs and we want government to untie that to let us get on with it and if we sink or swim after that if we're on that level playing field if we sink or swim uh, it's and if we sink sorry that's a, that's our problem you know uh, but and a really good example of that is um, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about it more but is if you look at say electricity prices that we pay in the UK as a steel sector compared to say our competitors in France or Germany we pay 61% more for electricity than our competitors in Germany and 51% more than our competitors in France. And why is that? It's not just because it's, you know, costs a lot more to deliver electricity to us here in the UK, but it's because of government policy on yeah. carbon taxes, energy taxes, renewable taxes, on transmission charges, on network charges. They're all, as you said, Tim, policies that have been put in place by a series of governments, not just actually the Conservative mm. government, so I don't want to be chucking mm. all the mud there, um, a series of governments that have put in place that have got us to that position, whereas in Germany, governments um, throughout the ages have, or throughout the last few decades, have always said, no, no, we want to, we want our industry to be competitive. So they've what they call socialised those additional costs. So actually they come out of, you know, tax rather than on industry whereas in the uk governments successive governments have chosen to load those costs disproportionately on mm. foundation sectors like steel glass ceramics paper etc mm. yeah and we certainly will come on to that because you know if i put myself in the position of the government i say well everyone's asking for a bit of money and not everyone can have it so there's a balance to become but let's come on to that because you know you know much as you you, you might have questions about the, the, the recent governments and support for the steel industry you know that that um that scene in Monty Python keeps coming back to me where they say, well, what have the Romans ever done for us? You know, and there's a question, there's assumption that the governments have done nothing for uh, it, manufacturing industry in the UK over, over, you know, recent decades. But surely through that time, you know, there will be there will be things that governments have done. So, yeah, it's just a case of progressing some of those. So, you know, they, give us some examples of, of how the government can support industries or has, has, has done that recently. Well, I've got I've got two Good examples. One where government has uh, stepped in on, say, addressing uh, exorbitant energy costs and how they differ or are considerably more than, as I said, France and Germany. That example is when did the government last do anything to tackle that? Well, they introduced what we call the energy intensive um, compensation package, and they did that when we had a coalition government. So it shows how long ago they lasted anything on addressing our problem on energy costs, uh, the, the disparity between us and Germany. That was a long time ago and nothing really has changed since. Hence why you just always hear me banging on about it again and again and again. <laughs> However, you know, that's a bit doom and gloom. Let's think of something better. This week, the trade secretary Anne-Marie Trevelyan uh, was over in the US and she did a deal with the US administration on what they call Section 232. Basically, when Trump was president, he slapped this 25% tariff on all 
steel coming into the US because um, he thought that would really help his, um, his steel sector at home. And it, and it, it certainly did because the prices went up significantly. But we've really been hampered by that 25% tariff going into the US, uh, Section 232, it's called. And uh, Amory Trevelyan this week did this blinder of a deal uh, by um, getting what they call a tariff rate quota, i.e. the amount of steel that we can send to the US that doesn't now uh, get a, a slapped on a 25% tariff. And it's uh, at, at the level of 500,000 tonnes a year for the whole sector in the UK to export yep. to the US. Uh, now, if we have got 350,000 tonnes, that, that might have been OK. But 500,000 tonnes gives us, as the steel sector in the UK, the ability to get right back in that US market in terms of exports uh, at, a, at a time when, when uh, steel prices are fairly good. Um, one could say, look, Gareth, why are you getting so excited about this? Because actually all that does is bring, brings us back to where we were before President Trump slapped those tariffs onto us. But, you know, it's still good and it still shows that the UK government does want to um, aid its, its industries. And it has done and she has done here in particular. Uh, also, another thing that Anne-Marie Trevelyan has done this week, which is kind of separate, is um, given a further indication that she wants to carry on what we call those UK steel safeguards, i.e. limiting the amount of imports of steel um, that we see flooding into our country from around the world. Uh, she's given a bit more of an indication that they'll continue uh, beyond this year. Uh, and, and that's very, very, very welcome. So, uh, you know, so that department, the trade department's very supportive at the moment of, of steel yeah. and, and ensuring that we can see free trade uh, going forward in terms of steel in the UK. But the business department, yeah, still lacking on energy policy. And we want to see further action on that. And we're really constructive with the government. You know, we, we tell them what the problem is, the extent of the problem, and then crucially, always, as UK Steel, we always tell government how you fix the problem. We never bang our fist on the table and just say something must be done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people listening to this might think, I thought this series was supposed to be about decarbonisation and climate change. But what I'm trying to do is to try and present the framework of how the industry needs to interact with the government as it goes through this change to decarbonisation. It has to make some fundamental decisions. And you know, lots of those will be based on uh, on government policy. So so much as people might be saying, well, is it a blast furnace? Is it an electric arc furnace? You know, that decision to go to electric arc furnace is entire, say entirely, but to a great extent, will be dependent on the, the long-term energy policy of the UK government around electricity costs. Um, and so, so you know, I understand people listening saying, well, tariffs aren't about decarbonisation, but I think it does help set that framework about the relationship with the industry with the government. So I just want to move on a, a little bit because, as I said, governments have competing demands on their time and their money from industries like ours, from the public sector, from the third sector charities and so forth, and from societies and politicians have constituents banging on their door. So, you know, we can't expect everything overnight or all at once, maybe. But, you know, in the last few years, I can't help thinking back to the Brexit vote. And uh, many communities with steel industries, many of the steel uh, communities will have voted for Brexit to, to leave the European Union on the, on the assumption that the government might say, now we are free from the constraints of those you know, state aid policies. We can support industries like steel. We, ha we haven't seen a huge amount of evidence of, of that freedom being exercised yet, Gareth. Is it, 
Is it more complicated than than people might have imagined? No, I don't think it is. And we did see the Prime Minister in Wales, actually, in his campaign for Brexit, saying we will get cheaper electricity prices as a result of Brexit. So what I would say to the Prime Minister now and the rest of the government is, yeah, bring it on, because the excuse whilst we were in the EU, why government couldn't address exorbitant, unfair electricity prices here in the UK is European state aid rules. Well, we're not we, we're not subject to those now. So come on then, government, you know, sort it out. And why would you say to the prime prime minister, sort it out on electricity prices? And, and as you said, Tim, before we get on to actually net zero carbon, is um, the prime minister is saying he's got a, a really big ambition to level up. Well, mm. what I say to the prime minister on that one is look no further than the steel sector. You want to level up? Well, we employ most of uh, the 31,000 people that work in the steel industry in those areas in the UK where the Prime Minister wants to level up. And those people in those areas are paid 45%, on average, 45% more than the average salaries in those areas. And, um, And also, we're the sector that really can make huge roads into decarbonisation. So, Go on, Prime Minister, if you want to level up, if you want a high wage economy and you want to get to net zero, look no further than the steel sector. Yeah, and I guess if you put yourself on the other side of the fence, as I alluded to earlier, that there, there are so many demands mind on the government. And, you know, people say, well, you know, the government needs to spend its money. You know, it, it isn't the government's money. It's our money as taxpayers. But, you know, how do you how would you argue against, you know, there'll be people saying, listen, I understand what you're saying but actually we've got to support social care we've got to support the health service we've got to support uh, you know uh, other social issues or or other industries how do you how do you balance it with you know you talked about cheap imports gareth and uh, and and how do we protect the country from cheap imports but you know if you're a if you're a steel user a manufacturer making you know a, a, some steel product cheap imports are great for you and the and the government's going to go well you know, something that's bad for the steel industry might be good for another sector of society. So how do you how do you balance all of these different issues and say, above all of that is the is the fundamental need for steel as a foundation industry, I, I guess, would be your, your starting point, would it? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, I said at the beginning of this discussion, steel really, for any government around the world that has a steel sector, it's a political decision whether you do have a steel sector or you don't. So we could say to government, okay, you know, let's let's let our steel sector in the UK wither on the vine, all those people, highly skilled people, 31,000 of them, we all lose our jobs and we import all the steel we need into the UK. Great. You know, um, government might think fantastic. At the beginning, it might even be a little bit cheaper. Mm. But what happens when where we buy our steel going forward, because we've seen in the last two to three years how delicate uh, and easily broken global supply chains are. What happens when we are not perhaps able to get that particular type of steel or steel in general or the lead times are a bit longer or the price isn't what we thought it was, it's going up. What happens when we only can look to China to to provide all our steel? Well, then do we actually look back and think, hmm, we did need that steel sector in the UK, didn't we? It is of a, a, a national, it's a national security issue rather than uh, just a nice to have. 
And I think that's what we're seeing much more now than we've ever seen in the UK economy. And therefore, I just come back again to that. Well, then it's a political decision. But if you yeah. if you go down the route of, oh, does it really matter if we have a steel sector? Then that is, as we can see, you know, oh, a very uncertain one. But if we go down the route of, yes, it does matter to have a steel sector in the UK, uh, then actually we could have sunny uplands in terms of actually making so much more steel in the UK than we do at the moment. And actually, let's, if you don't mind, can I just talk about the, the net zero carbon? Because yeah. we're a highly carbon intensive sector. If we want to get to net zero carbon, then really we should be making more steel in the UK, not less. And why is that? Because why would we, as we go along that road, that journey towards net zero carbon as a steel sector in the UK, why would we give over our responsibility to get to net zero to foreign countries, to foreign steel producers? We have to take that responsibility ourselves, and therefore we need to decarbonize our own steel production and all of our, not all, but a good proportion and increasingly more as we go on, steel consumed in the UK needs to become net zero steel, i.e. steel made uh, without a, a carbon footprint. And we need government to sign up to that. Without government support, you've got industry and trade unions working together, but we, you know, we can't address net zero carbon. We can't continue on that road to it without government support. And, and if government doesn't join us, then that would be a disaster, not just for the steel sector, but for the UK economy in terms of its ambitions to net zero carbon. Yeah, there are some massive issues in here, Gareth, aren't there? It's, it's hugely complex because, you know, I've, no, I've heard discussions before about, you know, if you're if you close down a, a washing machine manufacturer that uses steel, well, you could start it up again tomorrow. You know, if you close down the steel industry, that, that's not going to come back, is it? You know, and that whole debate you, you explained there about importing carbon from potentially less regulated parts of the world. And I think on one of the previous podcasts, I think maybe Pete Quinn said that, you know, if you look long term globally, you know, in 2050, still half of the world's steel is has to be made from from raw materials or the blast furnace route because there won't be enough scrap to do anything else. So, you know, as soon as you start seeing those figures about not only the carbon that was produced on the island of the United Kingdom, but the but the carbon is used on that is produced on products imported. That whole dynamic changes, doesn't it? And I think someone said every single G7 country has a native steel industry. And I and I can't imagine you will know better than I. I can't imagine the UK government being in a place where it says, well, you don't need the UK steel industry. They're not there, are they? No. And, it, and it's a really good point. You were just making the. The example I give when you're talking about G7, the example I give is if you look at the, the five richest countries in the world, four of them have the are in the top six steel producing countries in the world. And the fifth is us, UK. We're 31st in terms of how you know the steel making countries mm -hmm. in the world. We're 31st, whereas four of four of the top five richest countries are like, yeah, as I said, in the top six. So you realise there really is a strong correlation between a, a, a big, thriving, strong economy and then a, a, and then a good, thriving, strong steel sector. Um, 
So on net zero carbon, you could easily say to us as the steel sector, look, you're carbon intensive. What are you doing about it? It's easy for you, Gareth, just to sit here on a podcast saying, yeah, yeah, we've got to move forward. We've got to work with government. Well, I'll tell you what we're doing. So this time last year, we said to the business secretary, the cabinet minister, Kwasi Kwarteng, we really want to work with you, government and the trade unions uh, to come up with a plan, a roadmap for the steel sector in the UK to get to net zero carbon. Ideally, wouldn't it be fantastic if we were the first country in the world to have a, a net zero carbon steel sector? Wouldn't that be a great ambition? So Kwasi Kwarteng said this time last year, yeah, let's do that. So we met uh, the, the, C, the CEOs or the most senior people um, in the UK from each of the six steel companies uh, and UK Steel, we'd meet with Kwasi Kwarteng, you know, once every couple of months, and we would be developing, we developed this uh, this report, this plan um, that we submitted to him in December. And basically, it's a plan of saying, right, well, we, we're here at the moment in terms of our carbon emissions and our production in the UK. And as you said, Tim, you know, there's two companies that operate you know, blast furnaces and make steel that way, and, and then four that make it through the electric car furnace route. And so we, we, we set out showing what, where we are at the moment, where we could be going forward. We didn't sort of say exactly, yes, we will go down this route or this route or this route. We, we talked about the whys and the wherefores and the pluses and the minuses of all the different routes that the sector in the UK could go down. We talked about the costs of that. We talked about the need for, for government assistance or government change in policy so there was more of a market for the products we're making etc um, but one of the the key takeaways is somebody said well, you know, what was the big thing that you found out from that and the biggest thing I think we found out from that is that any scenario for the steel sector in the UK to move from where it is now to net zero carbon any of the scenarios involve us using much more electricity than we do now and therefore I come back to the bit that we spoke about right at the beginning. If we don't have internationally competitive electricity prices for the steel sector, then all bets are off. It just doesn't work. And that's the message that we said to Kwasi Kwarteng. Look, you first have to, you know, before we start talking about hydrogen, carbon capture and storage of carbon capture uses and storage and those sort of technologies, you actually just fix the basics. And the basics are, electricity prices, then government will see the investments come in the UK into those six steel producing companies. And then we continue, but at a much faster pace, our journey to net zero carbon to 2035 to 2050. And, uh, and as I said, we delivered that to Kwasi Kwarteng at the last week, working week in, uh, before Christmas. And uh, we met with him as the steel council probably about three weeks ago. And I'm pausing because I've, I'm now going to be really disappointed and say, and when we met with him, he said, thank you very much for the report. Yeah, there's some good stuff in here. Well, we're working on, on electricity prices. And the prime minister had said in a previous prime minister's question time, yes, Rishi Sunak, the chancellor, has got a plan in place and he's going to come forward with it. And I said to Kwasi Kwarteng, so, when there's a plan in place and you're going to come forward with it, when is the time? What's the timetable? Is it next week? Is it next month? Is it, you know, in the autumn? And the answer we got is we don't know. And, and, I, and I think it's really incredibly disappointing that a, a sector 
that's as carbon intensive as steel comes to government and the trade unions comes to government with a fully worked up plan. It was a 55 page report, mm. fully worked up plan to get to net zero. And the government didn't bite our hand off and, and, and said, great, let's, let's do it. And, and it just really worries me because we as a sector want to do it, but yet the government seeing its government's response is a bit lukewarm. Now, that doesn't mean all bets are off uh, and we're yeah. going to just walk away. We, we, we'll continue to work with government, but um, but I would have liked a better response, if I'm honest, uh, yeah. to what we got initially. And I guess people outside the industry might hear you talking about, you know, reducing electricity costs. And they'll be thinking, yeah, but electricity, you know, part of the reason the high electricity costs, as you mentioned earlier, was some of the green uh, levies and uh, that are put on those costs. And they'll say, but it's important that we spend more developing renewable energy in the short term such that in the long term your electric arc furnaces are going to be running off electricity that is from renewable sources rather than fossil fuels that that actually don't help solve the problem at all so you must have a recognition there's maybe a a bump to go over a bump in the bed sheet to to get over where where things will be more difficult to have a to have a longer term more sustainable future in terms of stable costs there are only so many bumps and large bumps that the steel sector in the UK can continue to go over and over. In that, we have been publishing that electricity price disparity report annually for government to see how much more we were paying for our electricity than our European competitors. We've been doing that for the last five years, but actually we've been talking to government about this for over a decade. And so, you know, there's only so much a steel sector in the UK can take before we see a a straw that breaks the camel's back. So yes, there is that longer term, um, you know, like uh, small modular nuclear reactors and and more renewables, and and that that's great. But if we only look to the long term, then in the short term we're going to get very hurt, uh, and that really that really really worries me. And um, also yeah. <laughs> on a side issue, and I'm sure other guests have talked about this. You know, we've got a thriving offshore wind industry. How much steel from the UK is embedded into into those projects? Very, very little. And I, and I find it incredible that ministers, you know, shout from the rooftops about how brilliant this is. But um, no one from the government is really that interested whether they use steel from the UK or not in these projects. It, it, it it's awful because it's uh, whether directly or indirectly, it, it's taxpayers' money. It's our money, and therefore, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast, if you said to them. Would you prefer your taxpayers' money uh, to be kind of reinvested in the UK, i.e. You know, spent on steel from the UK, or are you happy for your taxpayers' money to go off to foreign lands uh, to pay mm. for that steel and, and that investment never come back here in the UK? Mm. But you have been making some progress on things like public procurement policies recently and, you know, the steel charter that listeners may not have come across where people are committing to use UK steel, but it's been People would argue it's been more difficult uh, before we left the European Union about um, specifying uh, where where the steel has specifically come from. But, you know, now we're out of the European Union. Again, people might have some expectations that that the government can say, here's a public project. We're going to say that steel has to come from from UK made steel. Is is that still under World Trade Organization rules or any other rules? Is that impossible or is that making progress? What we're asking for, Tim, isn't even you have to use steel from the UK. We're just asking for a, 
big projects like say HS2, for the contractors there and HS2 itself to just think. HS2 would go to a large contractor and say, right, we need that bridge built, that bridge built. And what we want them to ask is, oh, and contractor, where will you be purchasing the steel from? Because if possible, we'd like you to purchase it from the UK. If it's wildly expensive from the UK or if the UK can't make it, fair enough. But the problem is, and it always astounds me and disappoints me, that these projects don't even ask where the steel is from. And sometimes when the bridge is built, you'll ask them, where did the steel come from? Don't know. We didn't, you know, we don't know. We didn't ask the contractor. And that that's the problem. And 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 let me address your your question of when we we're in the European Union, it was easy to say, ah, oh, you know, we can't do that. European Union procurement rules, etc. That's a problem. Now we're out of it. It still doesn't change. And why doesn't it change? Because actually, let me give credit to ministers here. Ministers, whenever you say to them, would you like to see more steel from the UK? in these projects, purchase for these projects, the answer is always absolutely. And the problem that we have is it's government officials. Government officials are embarrassed to sort of say, oh, shouldn't we be using more steel from the UK? They feel it's all wrong that they shouldn't be doing that. If you look to different countries, if you have um, national infrastructure projects in any of those countries, and particularly countries, say, like Japan, the steel will, by default, come from those countries that are that are paying for those national infrastructure projects and that's all we need to get to here just a change in culture a change in mindset so it's automatically right we've got this major project going forward let's go and speak to the steel companies in the uk to find out whether they have the capacity and the capability and then let's talk to them more at the beginning of the project to work out if they can supply and if they can great they can't or it's too expensive well they'll go elsewhere that yeah. doesn't happen that's all we need to happen to change that to see more steel from the uk being used in those projects but but again you, know, you can't help thinking this may be a, an opportunity that net zero presents itself when you go back a number of years and decisions on projects whether in the automotive or packaging or construction industry may well have been made on cost or quality and so on and so forth but i can't help thinking that that nowadays people are being much more pressurized to you know publish their sustainability credentials in their products and people are looking at local sourcing and i know that you know car manufacturers in the uk are saying how can we make sure that we are we are locally sourcing as much as we can because of the environmental profile of transporting materials and and systems all across the world and I wonder if there's an opportunity there, Gareth, where people say, you know, because because this project has to be done in a sustainable way, our reason for choosing UK steel will be because it is locally sourced and the environmental credentials of doing that rather than necessarily it, it is cheaper or, or or any other factor. Is there? Can you see that there surely must be some massive opportunities there? Uh, and there is, and that, and that actually is, and I'm glad you've said it, Tim, that is actually a, a quite a significant element of the UK Steel Charter, Procurement Charter, in terms of looking at where, how far, you know, across, is it coming from the other side of the, of the world or, or not, and, and, and then embedding those environmental benefits or into into those decisions and choices being made they are yeah they are there that's what something we're very much very much promoting but if we look say even if you had say embedded carbon in there the uk government could say 
we have to have, you can only use uh, net zero steel, let's call it, in, the, in those projects. And again, this would be a great thing. Yeah, okay, so that's good. So the UK steel sector could supply to that. Now, imagine if the government doesn't fulfill its side of the bargain and gives us a competitive business landscape and say, then we can't in this scenario invest in getting to net zero carbon. And But other countries, even in Europe, say could in this scenario, and they start flooding our market with this net zero carbon because you can't, net, sorry, net zero carbon steel because you can't yeah. make it in the UK cheap enough. That would be a disaster as well. So it's all one package, all working together. Comes back to the thing I keep saying, it's a political decision. Do you want to do this or you don't want to do it? And yeah. and and in many of the things we have, your government, industry, and trade unions always have to work together. They can none none of them can do it on their own. Yeah, yeah. And I guess in in all of those scenarios, you know, going back to this this massive change that's required to decarbonize the steel industry. Yeah, the the big the big thing at the end of the debate is always the pound note sign, isn't it? It's like you know who pays because. Um, we've mentioned it before in our industry. There's a conflict, isn't it, between between the government who's saying we're going to make a policy change about uh, goals of net carbon zero and an industry uh, where the government's saying, well, the polluter pays principle. But this has got to be some sort of compromise. It's not it's not with one or the other, is it, Gareth? Uh, no, I don't think so, Tim, because if you look at how who paid to decarbonize the electricity generation supply sector, what well, we did as customers because we, we couldn't go import, you know, we couldn't go abroad and go and buy our electricity. We had, you know, we're stuck in our houses and we buy, we buy it like that. So we paid for that. We, um, there was no, not, no, almost, or the, the risk of investing in the renewable sector was vastly reduced because basically the government said to the contractors who were going to build and own and then run offshore wind facilities, hey, if you do that, we will guarantee the price that we will buy your electricity from you when, when it's built for a number of years. And therefore, it took that risk out of, of investing there. Now, wouldn't it be great if there was, uh, you know, in a, an extreme scenario, this isn't our policy, but an extreme scenario, government said, right, steel search in the UK, if, if you, for every tonne of steel you produce, we'll pay you X amount. And if the price goes above that, you pay us back. If the price goes below it, we'll, we'll pay you. Uh, for that and, and not not suggesting that but it's it's <laughs> to say that's what happened in the electricity supply sector and it's it's kind of as you said it can't be hey you're the steel sector you have to fund all all of your your journey to net zero carbon in a global steel sector that at the moment you can't get a premium for selling net zero steel and what whilst you you can't get that premium you know nobody will pay more for lower carbon embedded in in, in steel products while no one will pay more for that how can you make that investment especially because you don't have a, a competitive business landscape here in the uk yeah and and and, and the problem with that investment scenario for, for either industry or government is is it's absolutely massive isn't it because you know for every for every tartar steel there's a british steel or a liberty or a salsa uh, you know for every steel industry there's a power generation industry or a, or an offshore industry or cement or a glass industry so it's a massive financial challenge and i guess you know, the question is a bit like you know how do, how do you eat an elephant it's one bite at a time isn't it <laughs> And I think people forget that uh, everyone 
in the steel industry knows this, but people outside of it fail to understand or forget that how capital intensive the steel industry is. You know, to do anything in the steel sector uh, costs you millions and millions and millions. And to make this massive change from carbon intensive to net zero, it will cost billions. Yeah. And, and I think government understand, understands that. But, you know, it's a huge amount, a huge amount of, of, of money uh, mm. that's needed. And, and it will need to be made but we can't do that on our own. We have to, we have to do it with government support. But it's the foundation for the next, you know, 50 hundreds of years, Gareth, isn't it? So it's an investment needs to be seen in in the longer context or other than the short term. I'm conscious of the time we're using up, Gareth. And there's a couple of other points I just want to pick up because we talked about uh, the role of the UK government, especially in in so many of these decisions. But, you know, Tata Steel's operations, yes, they're across the UK and then some overseas as well. But the, the main, when we're talking decarbonisation, the main focus of that discussion for Tata Steel is inevitably around Port Talbot, where the integrated works sits. And that's within Wales and that's within a devolved government with, you know, limited powers, albeit. Um, but what role do, does a government like the Welsh government or, or Scottish government for, for, for works up there or Irish government? But these devolved governments, what is it they can do within those powers? to support the steel supply chains and smooth the path to decarbonisation? Yeah, I think it's a really difficult. It all comes back to the, the, the limited powers because it's always a delight to talk to Welsh government, both officials and politicians, and Scottish government officials and politicians because they absolutely get it in terms of the steel industry. And wouldn't it be great if uh, they were actually in, in, in Westminster because they get it. And they do want to make those changes and they do want to encourage investment, global investment into the UK steel sector. But it's the, the limited powers that they have. Um, but And, and, and they, so they can work around the edges. And, and my understanding, you know, and what we see is they do. But to tackle those major big problems like electricity prices, it's a Westminster issue. And, and it must be so frustrating for Welsh government and Scottish government when they they know what they need to do, but their hands are tied and they can't do it. Yeah, but I guess as we go forward in the in the broader picture, and the last podcast we did was um, with Sumitesh Das from R and D and Dave Worsley from uh, Swansea University, and they were talking about much broader than maybe we've been talking about today in the in the steel industry itself about you know the, the wider role of energy and waste heat for homes, but they were also talking about the skills agenda and saying. You know, what a brilliant place the steel industry is to generate those skills and passion about um, the manufacturing sector that actually can be used for the wider sector and places. So, you know, I'm based in Wales myself and I've seen the support that the Welsh government gives for skills and training and apprenticeships. And as we go into a potentially new technologies, it's not maybe as expensive as changing the physical infrastructure, but it's just as important, isn't it? Certainly important, and you know, and when you, you uh, and that's why people that work in the steel industry are paid in the areas where most of those people employed get paid forty-five percent more than the average salary because they're highly skilled, and we must never forget that. And, and certainly, those skills are transferable. Uh, and governments like the Welsh government have a huge role to play in not only. Uh, making sure those skills are taught from a very early age, you know, in terms of in school and then and then university places that are then linked with steel companies. And, and like we see in Swansea University, so, you know, um, Dave is a fantastic advocate of the steel sector. 
And and that's what we need to see more. But we also need to see that people are attracted into the steel sector because they might have a perception that it's not a shiny sector. It's not an exciting sector. It's a sector in the past and, and uh, that, that's kind of based in the past. And, and it, we know, everyone listening to this podcast knows that that's not the case. Um, and so we need to help younger people understand that if they're, if they're looking to gain skills, broad skills that, that the steel sector needs, look at the steel sector, don't think, ah, let's go into, I don't know, you know other shiny new sectors that just seem to appeal more, um, but they're going to get a really good grounding in the steel sector with those transferable skills. But the steel sector is very exciting. I always say, you know, steel is not the material of the past, the material of the present, but it certainly is also the material of the future that's what it is it really is yeah yeah and i know in, in many of the previous podcasts you know i think uh, uh, someone said that to create a green economy if steel didn't already exist you would have to invent it because of its uh, you know it's it's many many properties in terms of its low energy and its flexibility and its recyclability and so forth and, you know i'm talking from personal experience and i've been in the steel industry all my life and i it is massively exciting and you you you, you literally don't have to walk 20 paces before you find an extraordinary person doing something extraordinary in the industry and you know this 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 image that people might think of as, as old-fashioned is just so far from the truth and it wasn't that long ago as a as a quick interlude i remember talking to one of these uh, these youngsters with a brain the size of a planet and he said to me he said do you know there are particles in steel that are the same size as your fingernail grows in a second ah this blows my mind right? <laughs> I, I i can't even start to comprehend how it is but you know it is a it is a fascinating industry and, and massively exciting and and under co- constant change as we've talked about Listen, Gareth, conscious, very, uh, I want to start closing it up now because kind of coming to the end of our time. But I know today we've talked a lot about the whys and the the wherefores and the whats and the hows and the whens and the whos. But the the one I want to close on is is something we briefly touched on, which is the will. And in your discussions with various parts of governments, do you detect that will to make the UK steel industry sustainable, to support companies such as Tata Steel on our journey to net zero and to create this joined up industrial strategy, which we talk about for, for all of the supply chains that depend on steel. Is there that will, Gareth? So rather than end with doom and gloom, let's let's flip it <laughs> around and, and make it um, more positive. So if you look at the business department here in Westminster, uh, with Kwasi Gwarteng as, as the cabinet, minister responsible he he does get it he does understand it and i think he genuinely wants to make the change but the problem that we have and i talked about you know the chancellor and the purse strings etc but actually i think the problem we have we've got a government that every day wakes up to massive problems massive crises and is sorting those out on a daily basis. And then they wake up tomorrow and there's more of them and more of them. And, and, and we have a government that at the moment doesn't have time to breathe and think. And, and therefore, if we could get past many of these crises, then I believe that we will have a government and a prime minister that actually wants to make a change. And I understand, and I've not met the prime minister of him to say it directly to me, but I do understand from people that have met him in recent months, and he apparently says and gets that he wants to move away from a steel sector that goes from kind of crisis to crisis to 
more shutdowns, etc. To actually, he wants to move away from that to actually a sustainable steel sector that does have a, a bright future. And I actually believe that. I think that that's the type of person that that he is. Uh, and if only we could get over some of the crises that we're in at the moment, I think it would give a, the Prime Minister a chance to actually say to his cabinet colleagues, come on, let's get on and, and let's create a better future for this foundation sector that is steel. Because we all know that in developed economies, everything is either made of steel or made using steel and therefore is the most important material there is. Uh, and I believe that the Prime Minister gets that. Well, let's very much hope so. Now, listen, we're going to have to call it a day there, Gareth, I'm afraid, but really, really grateful for you giving us your time and, and insights into the to the to the world of industry and government relations. And all of us in the steel industry would say power to your elbow as you fight hard for the best outcomes for our industry. But we're, we're right there with you. Thanks very much, Tim. So legislators and governments of all colours clearly have a massive role to play in the success of native industries, and maybe none more so than for steel in the UK. And while we in Tata Steel might feel we need more immediate support on things like energy and public sector procurement and trade remedies, there's an even bigger prize to be won for the very future of the UK steel industry and the vast number of supply chains it underpins. Creating and supporting sustainable net zero supply production, processing, distribution for steel. And of course, while we should recognise there are always competing priorities for governments and demands on their resources, Gareth makes a compelling case for a robust and long-term industrial strategy that steel is its heart. A strategy that would build more resilience for UK supply chains, it would inspire more inward investment, it would create a culture of innovation and creativity built on the confidence that comes from that long-term government support and industry partnerships. So for industries such as steel, which is both energy and capital intensive, the clock is ticking and the figures are sizable. With every G7 country having a native steel industry, it is impossible to imagine the UK considering any other option. And with decarbonisation now burned in legislation, the goal seems clear, even if the path has yet to be laid or paid for. So thanks for listening to this episode of Steelcast. Please let us know what you think about the topics we're discussing or any other aspects of decarbonisation, sustainability, climate change that you'd be interested in hearing about. If you want to keep up to date with the latest happenings in Tata Steel UK and in this series, our journey towards decarbonisation, please do subscribe to Steelcast through Podbean, Spotify, Apple or wherever else you get your podcasts. See you next time. <laughs>